but I just thank you all for being here today. And I know a precious commodity for all Canadians is their time. We protect our time more than our money. In our society, we want to do things fast. So we have pay-at-the-pump features, and we use those all the time. Even this local shell station over here, they have a deal whereby if you go inside and pay and use credit, excuse me, if you use debit or cash, you get five cents off per liter. Then if you have a CAA card, you get another three cents off per liter. That's eight cents. 60 liters, $5. But people, they don't want to go in and get in the lineup because there are all kinds of people there getting their lottery tickets or cashing in their lottery tickets. So they just pay at the pump and the way they go. And then we have people that want to use microwave ovens. Fast food is very popular. On our trip last weekend to the men's conference over at Canoe Cove Christian Camp, most of us followed the instructions, get there as quickly as possible, get there by 8.30 in the evening. We had the camp to ourselves, and then we were going to have a worship time together and just getting to know one another. But Roland uh, of Oral High, one of our elders, he was driving one vehicle. And they stopped, wanted a, a full meal, and then they ran into our young guys in the car driven by Mark Nelson. And they found a restaurant together. They sat down. They had an appetizer. They had a main course. They had dessert. So an hour and a half after the rest of us arrived, these two cars pulled into the campground. But most of us prefer the fast things. We like fast cars. You, you want your computer to download as fast as possible. And the list just goes on. We love them all. There was a devotional in the Lookout magazine, and this is what it said. There may be a one-minute manager, but there's not a one-minute mother, a one-minute disciple, or a one-minute worshiper. Our speed got us nowhere fast, and more often than not, witnessing is the same. Just as a fetus takes nine months of development before being ready for birth, a potential believer requires months of development before that happens. And you never know how long the non-Christian to whom you are talking has been in God's incubator. But be gentle with the forceps of your words. It's when they're ready, not you. Now, last week, James began a series of messages on seeking the lost, and he basically laid the foundation for us. This is where it all begins. And he gave a definition of the gospel, and he even passed a copy of that out to everybody. So if you didn't get one last week or you weren't here last week, please stop by the Welcome Center and get that. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But it's okay if at times we feel a little short on Bible knowledge or if we're a lot too scared of rejection in the situation we're in, that's all right. Just be reminded that it's our job to plant the seeds and it's God's job to actually bring about the increase. Mark Middleberg in Contagious Christianity said, when sharing our faith, for most of us, the primary cost of reaching others is that it adds some time to our overloaded schedules. Simply stated, it complicates our already complicated lives. 
but so does getting married, so does having children, so does buying a house. But we, we do all of those. We need to do all of those. And in the same way, we, we evangelism, disciple-making needs to take place. So the question we're going to look at today is, how better could you expend your time and energy than by investing in people, many of whom will thank you for all eternity? So those relationships will be formed. Philip was a great evangelist, and he modeled one-on-one -on -one evangelism for us in Acts chapter 8 when he discipled the Ethiopian eunuch. So kids, you can ask your parents what that is when you get home. I won't explain it. But there are six different steps that Philip took to share his faith, and each one of them took time. First of all, he obeyed the Lord's leading. So we're starting in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, get ready and go south to the road that leads to Gaza, down to Gaza from Jerusalem, the desert road. So Philip got ready and went. And on the road, he saw a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch. He was an important officer in the service of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he was responsible for taking care of all her money. And he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And you're probably thinking, well, of course, Peter, Philip, sorry, was going to obey. This is a direct request from God. Certainly, he's going to follow through and listen to that. But in the Bible, people didn't always listen when God spoke directly to them. God spoke to Moses and he said, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh and I want you to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. No way did he want to do this. And then just think of Jonah. God commanded Jonah to go and preach to the people in the city of Nineveh. Jonah wants nothing to do with it. He's going as fast as he can in the other direction, and he ends up with a three-day underwater cruise as a result of that. Now, we have people here that are in the Navy. We had one guy that was a submarine, submariner. So, but this is three days in the belly of a great fish. And then when God sent Ananias to go speak to this Saul, the persecutor of Christians, Ananias goes, uh, I've heard the stories of what this guy's doing. I don't want anything to do with him. But Philip, he obeyed. And a prerequisite to evangelism is obedience to Christ. So he puts himself in a position for God to call him. And this wasn't the first time that God had actually called Philip. In Acts chapter 6, he was called to come help wait on tables to serve other people in their needs. And then earlier in this same 8th chapter, he was called to go to the despised Samaritans and preach to them and bring the good news to them. But he went. He responded each time. And you probably haven't head an audible voice from the Lord speak to you saying, go to exit five on the 102 and there's a car broken down and the guy is waiting for you to come to him. That probably won't happen. But we need to be sensitive to those times when the Lord may be directing you to reach out to a person. I blew a situation really early on in my ministry. I had another church in Dorn Ridge, New Brunswick, and there was a young woman that was attending church, and I couldn't get her husband to come, but he came to help us paint the building. 
And we were painting side by side there. It was almost the end of the day. And he said, you know, I don't see the sense in all of this. We, we live our life, we die, and that's the end. And I don't know if I had sunstroke that day or what it was, but I never jumped on that opportunity. This was an Ethiopian eunuch moment. He was asking this question, what's the meaning? Fortunately, I was able to share that with him later and make up for my lost time on all of that. But I was determined from then on, when God presents me the opportunity, I'm taking it. But the problem with Christians and a lot of Christians today is that we've gradually traded our non-Christian friends for Christian friends. And we've surrounded ourselves with this safe and secure set of people who believe the same things that we do. And some Christians will get up in the morning and keep their distance from Christians. They'll go for a breakfast with their accountability partner, and then they'll leave from there and go to work. But they don't want to hang around those heathenistic workers and hear the stories they're telling, so you just do your job. And then at lunchtime, there's an invitation to lunch with those heathens. Oh, no, I'll stay here and do my devotions at this time. And then after work, they dive into whatever's going on at the church that night or that weekend. And I say, what an odd approach to the mission field. The only contact with the world is the dash from one activity to another. But here is Philip. He was open to sacrificing some time so that the gospel could be shared with these people. So now we're picking up in verse 28. Now, as he was on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Chuck Swindle said there must be a sensitivity to God's calling, but sensitivity also has a twin called availability, because what good is it if God calls us to go to someone and we're not willing to follow? Well, Philip followed and he obeyed. And then he asked relevant questions. In verse 30, so when Philip ran toward the chariot, he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that's a pretty obvious question. There's nothing creative or dramatic about it. He didn't use gimmicks. He didn't say, hey, I missed the bus to Gaza. Can I hop in with you and get a ride? And then partway along starts to share his faith with the guy. He didn't do that. And he didn't use sales pitches Today is your lucky day. I have a Bible for you for $29.95. That's all you have to pay, and I'll help you work through that Bible. And he didn't use scare tactics. Stop this chariot. Chariots are dangerous. You could flip over, and if you died, what would happen? Where would you go at the end of your life? But instead, Philip asked the seeker a question that created a thirst. Do you understand what you're reading? So how do you turn things into spiritual conversations? Because sometimes people are curious, sometimes they're not, and you can try and turn the situation and it's just not going anywhere. But look for those opportunities because questions are a non-threatening way to allow a person to talk. And I try to do this everywhere I go. Sometimes I talk to people on the subway in Toronto. It doesn't go over so well. You're supposed to just look straight ahead and not even look at people, let alone talk to them. But uh, 
Peter Boyer and James uh, Stevenson and I went to Nashville to the National Disciples Makers Conference. And everywhere I went, I was trying to bring the conversation around to spiritual matters. And then we arrived home in Halifax at 2 a.m., so none of our wives were willing to come get us for some strange reason. We'll talk about that one later. But, uh, and so we were taking a taxi, and James and Peter hop in the back seat. It's always me that sits up front with the person. So I'm sitting with this guy, and, and I, I was pretty certain he was probably uh, of the Islam faith. And I started asking some questions and found out where he was from, uh, what he believed. And then you just ask a few more questions, and you've turned the conversation over to Jesus. So I didn't convert him that day. It was only a 20-minute ride. <laughs> But, well, later on I'm going to talk about it. it takes a lot longer with some people. But it was planting those seeds, and maybe someone else will come along. I, I take my car to steal Hyundai for servicing, and now they don't have that nice seven-passenger van to drive everybody home. They call Uber. It, it must be less expensive. So they called me an Uber, and I get in the front seat with the guy. I don't sit in the back and start asking some questions, and, and he's Muslim, and he's kind of questioning his faith a little bit, so we start talking. I ask some questions, and I was going to my house. I have an office there where I work half the time, but I said, no, I'm going to have this guy drive me to the church, so he sees the name of the church and, and drives by in the parking lot, and then the next time I was there, I got the same guy, but he didn't drive away. He wasn't scared. He asks a few more questions. So just plant those seeds. Give that opportunity because God is going to actually give us some opportunities to share our faith. And there's a series of five questions that you could actually ask. And these have been around Christendom for some time now. And they might help you to start a conversation. And the first one is, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? And people are always willing to share especially the ones that don't have any belief whatsoever. They will just tell you to stop right there. But it, it gets the ball rolling. And then ask them, well, who is Jesus to you? And maybe if they have a, a little bit of church background, they might say something like, well, he's the son of God, or, or maybe he's that guy that died on the cross, or he's a religious figure. If they're a Christian already, they might say something more personal. They might say, he's my Savior, he's my Lord. And then ask them, do you believe in heaven and hell? And now we're getting a little more personal. You're moving from the head to the heart, and you're going to make them wrestle this a little bit. And then where would you go at the end of your life and why? And that's a natural follow-up to asking a question about heaven and hell. And if you think you would go to heaven, why do you think God would let you in? And then the last question is, if what you are believing was not true, would you, not, would you like to know the difference? And asking that question gives you a chance to guide the conversation. But to the first service, I said the same thing. I said, I, I kind of hesitated in giving you these questions because you might start thinking, okay, I'll have this list of questions and I'll work through them all and then... I've got a convert just like that. But it just might be a question or two in there that you can use to start a conversation. But evangelism, it's not a memorized script. It's a lifestyle. 
So these questions will help in that process. But the whole key is you will be investing your time. So now he listens to the reply. And this may sound kind of elementary, but we're not good at this. Sometimes we can be really quick to give our opinion, but then kind of slow to listen to the doubts that people have, maybe their questions or the needs that they have. So he answered, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And then he invited Philip to climb in and sit with him. The portion of scripture he was reading was this. He was like a sheep being led to be killed. He was quiet as a lamb is quiet while its wool is being cut. He never opened his mouth. Now this is actually a messianic prophecy. And it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, let alone being crucified. And he was shamed and was treated unfairly. He died without children to continue his family. His life on earth has ended. And the officer said to Philip, please tell me, who was this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So sometimes we can be really good at asking questions, but we don't allow the person to answer them. We're ready to move on ahead to the next thing that we want to say, rather than listening to what they have to share. So you can't lead someone in a certain direction that they need to go in if you don't know where it is they're coming from in the first place. So you listen. I have three weddings coming up in the next five to six weeks. And as a part of the premarital counseling program we do with couples, there's this exercise called, I called it aggressiveness but it, it, in the first service, but it's assertiveness and active listening. So one person, they have something that they would like to see change in their relationship. So they're to assertively let the other person know. And then the other spouse-to-be is to listen actively, not thinking ahead to what they're going to say next, but listening so that they can then put that in their own words. So it's incredible. And then I have them make certain that they use this anytime they have issues in their relationships. So learn to listen. And that might be the best tip for sharing our faith because Becky Pippert said, don't see people as interruptions to your schedule. They are there by divine appointment. Jesus wants us to see their needs, their loneliness, their thoughts, their longings, and he wants to give us the courage to reach out to them. So it takes time, and it means you must listen rather than being so anxious to talk. You need to be tuned in rather than being so ready to broadcast. And Philip, he merely tweaked the curiosity of this Ethiopian and made him thirsty for more. And then the next thing he does is he explains the basics from the Bible. And this is where sometimes believers falter a little bit. Because if you're a Christian, you should be able to, in a very basic way, lead someone to Christ. It's not, well, you know what? Uh, I think you probably need to talk to one of our pastors at the church. They could probably help you. And it's not, well, I don't know about that, but uh, I'll pray about it. That's the best I can do. Uh, we, we can guide people to websites or, or give them books, and, and that can be helpful as well. But don't let them be a crutch for being prepared to actually share our faith. 
You're the person that has invested the time in that individual. You're the one that has the credibility. You're the one that has earned the right to be heard. So speak up and, and explain the basics of the Bible. Every two months, I teach what's called a partnership class, and it's for people that are new to us, people that are investigating becoming a Christian or investigating becoming a member of our church. And something always comes out of that that I can use in a message. And a question that was asked by one of our Nigerian women, and I know all of you Nigerians are frustrated here in Canada because back home in Lagos, you guys gather together in the church every week. You go out and you preach. You, you witness to people in the street. Here, you're kind of shunned. And you can't talk about Jesus in schools. And you know, the list just goes on and on. So I shared the frustration, but I said, the key is one person at a time, developing a relationship with individuals, earning the right to speak into their life. That's the way we're going to make a difference. Jesus did that himself. It was those 12 disciples, one at a time, working with them, and then each individual that he came across in his ministry, one at a time. So verse 35, Philip began to speak, and starting with this same scripture, he told the man, the good news about Jesus. So he didn't talk about his church, about how wonderful it was, didn't talk about how wonderful his pastors were, didn't talk about the good things they were doing in the community. He pointed this man to Jesus Christ. And Acts 4 says, Jesus is the only one who can save people. No one else in the world is able to save us. So Philip begins the conversation from where this man is, He's reading the book of Isaiah. He explains to him how Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. He laid that foundation. And you can do the same thing. Just say, I want to share something with you. This is something that is really important to me. And if I come across too heavy, then I want you to stop me because I want to be able to share this. It's not my intent to be too strong. So here's what James passed out last week. And like I said, please pick up a copy of this at the Welcome Center. So this is what the gospel is. It's the kingdom of God has come through Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. He is the king, God's one and only son. He died on the cross and on the third was buried and was resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures. And in his great love and by his amazing grace, God our Father saves everyone who repents of their sin, believes the gospel, and follows Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when King Jesus returns on the last day, the day of judgment, everyone who followed him will enter the eternal kingdom of God. Get a copy of that. Memorize it. Have it ready for when you encounter someone. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And as a result of that, I feel fulfilled. I feel special. Because, you know, if I was the only person on the face of the earth, God still would have sent Jesus. Jesus still would have gone to the cross to die for my sins. So I have the hope of eternal life as a result of that. 
So my self-image is solid because my worth is based upon my value to Christ. Now, there are millions of people in our country. There may be some of you here in this room here this morning, and you are desperately pursuing a relationship or a possession because you think that that will bring fulfillment to your life, while the fulfillment actually comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Philip used the scripture to explain the good news. There's power in the word of God. And next week, we're actually going to talk a little bit about incorporating scripture into your own personal story. And then he allows time for this man to respond. While they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the officer said, look, here is water. What is stopping me from being baptized? And Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And the officer said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So some time has passed, and obviously Philip has talked about baptism because the Ethiopian says, why can't I be baptized right now? He saw some water. And it wasn't Philip forcing it on him. He didn't say, you need to accept the Lord today. Today is your day, man. And Philip could have said that to him. But he didn't know where the man was at. He didn't know what point he was at in his, the process of coming to Christ. He didn't know what seeds had already been planted by maybe a friend or a neighbor. And it's the same with us. We don't know where a person is at. But what we do is we just shine the light a couple of steps in front of them on their path so that they can come a little further. And maybe we're fortunate enough and we're there at the end of that journey and we get to be a part of seeing them come into Christ. So there's a great story in Mark chapter 10 that also reminds us that it isn't our job, it's God's job. We just plant the seeds out there. So Jesus started on his way and then this arrogant, cocky young man came up to him and got down on his knees and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good other than God. And you know the commandments, he said, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young guy said, teacher, I've kept all of those ever since I was a child. And then I'm sure he had this been there, done that, you know, taken care of all of that. And I'm sure Jesus was biting his tongue and he was thinking, oh, really? How are you doing about that lying one telling me that you've kept all these laws? But he's tempted to say that, but he doesn't. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will receive treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. No, not that. How about some Hail Marys? Or, or maybe I'll help someone just a little bit. But not everything. And then the Gospel of Mark is very vivid in its terminology. At this, most, at this moment, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great worth. So the guy, he wouldn't do it. And the neat thing is that as the man is walking away, Jesus doesn't go running after him. He said, okay, 
I gave you the really heavy stuff because I thought you could handle it. How about you just give half of everything to the poor and then we'll make that an agreement. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't chase after people. He doesn't force his way into a person's life. He just stands at the door and he knocks and when we're ready, we invite him in. The last thing the Ethiopian did was uh, here we see Philip saying to him, no, okay, he led the Ethiopian to the next step is basically what happened. And Jim Peterson in his book Living Proof writes, if evangelism is a process, then our function is to accompany our acquaintances on the road to Christ step by step showing them the way. So Philip could have said to the man, wait a sec, you want to be baptized right now? Let's not get too hasty. Why don't you sleep on it? Here's my card. Call me in the morning if you're still interested. Or he could have said, you just got part one of this three-part series that I do, and part two is really good, and I'd like to share that with you. So can we get together sometime and do that? Or he doesn't do any of that because he knows that this man is sincere, that he is genuine, and he's ready to make a commitment to Christ. So then the officer commanded the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the officer went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And the next step may be different for each person. In this guy's case, the next step was baptism. For some, the next step may be to get involved with a life group. For others, it may be Okay, it's time to get my life straightened out. It's time for me to come clean before God. And they've never repented for their sins, and they do that so that there will be a change of behavior. And maybe that's the next step. Or maybe for another it is, I choose to be different through the power of the Holy Spirit. But conversion is a process. It's not an event. And our job is to disciple people and to just keep shining that light in front of their path and guiding them on that next step. One person said, our job is to tell our best friends about our best friend. Now, there was a couple, and they had a five-year-old son, and they went shopping at this huge department store. And they were looking at all the clothes, and they actually forgot about their son, and then when they went looking for him, they couldn't find him anywhere. And other people were joining in and helping with the search, and people were getting panicked about it. And finally, the parents thought, maybe our son has been kidnapped. But then five minutes later, they heard a voice over the loudspeaker. Would Mr. and Mrs. Bernard Johnson please report to the manager's office on the second floor? And they just flew up those escalator steps. And they found the manager's office. They threw open the door. And there was their son seated at the manager's desk. And he's drinking a, a bottle of Coke. And he's got his feet up on the desk, sitting in the manager's chair, big smile on his face. Like, he doesn't have a worry in the world. But when he saw the look on his parents' faces, he just immediately broke into tears. And do you know why? Because he had no idea that he was lost until he was found. 
We are surrounded by a culture of people that have no clue that they're headed for a Christless eternity. And it's not until you reach out to them and show them the light of Jesus Christ so that they can take another step that someday they'll realize and say, do you know what? I had no idea about the direction I was going in. Thank you for pointing me into the direction of Jesus. So let's give them what so few people will. Let's give them our time. Let's give them our hearts. And then especially we need to give them our listening ears. Now, I've run out of time. I, I could talk about dozens of people in our church that have made that decision. And, and it wasn't simply because of one person that led to them making that decision in their lives. It, it was family members that encouraged them. It was church members that greeted them warmly. It was life group members that accepted them and encouraged them and listened to the hurt that they were struggling with in their lives. And then it was other people praying for them, dozens of people praying for them. And that's what Peter meant in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when he said, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God is the one who made it grow. So you may have a person in your life who needs to see the light of Jesus Christ shone in front of them to take that next step. And are you prepared to do that? And maybe you're the person that needs to take that next step. And you've had the basics of the Bible laid out for you. And you have the opportunity right now to say, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. Do that.